Support for Market Foolery comes from our friends at Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. You're confident when it comes to your work and life. Rocket Mortgage gives you that same confidence when it comes to refinancing your existing mortgage or buying a home. It lets you understand all the details so you can be confident that you're getting the right mortgage for you. Go to rocketmortgage.com/fool. It's Thursday, June 15th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Motley Fool Funds, Bill Barker. Happy Thursday. Thank you. Thanks for being here. We got uh, we got a bunch of things going on. We got some news. We're going to dip into the full mailbag. We're going to talk groceries. SeaWorld Entertainment surprising well surprising a few people, and I'm going to count myself among them. But I think we should probably start with your man Robert Schiller because he's the famous Yale economist, and um, you guys were buddies at Yale. And uh, yesterday afternoon, the Fed came out. Raised interest rates a quarter of a percent, so we're going from one percent to one and a quarter percent, and everybody yawned. This was so telegraphed; everybody knew this was coming, and immediately the speculation turned to the potential for another interest rate hike later in the year. And I mentioned Robert Schiller; he he came out this morning. He's like, "Yeah, they can they can raise rates a little bit more if they want." I'm looking at stocks. Yeah, the okay. The, there are mechanisms out there that price in the odds of uh, another rate hike for various uh, meetings, and you've got to go out a full year really to get uh, the market betting on a specific date by which interest rates will be up another quarter point. So, if that's the case, and interest rates continue to be this low, and bonds um, as a related entity continue to be this low in in their returns, uh, it it still appears. Although the stock market is at or near an all time high, depending on when exactly you listen to this, um, stocks still appear to have to many people, not everybody, better than two or three percent annual returns available, which is what you're looking at for something like uh, you know bonds. Do all you Yale guys stick together, or is it you just have an? Everybody knows everybody. Yeah, we're on a <laughs> we're in a chat group. That's how that works. Uh, let's move on to Kroger, which cut its full year fiscal guidance, and shares of the supermarket stock are is tanking too strong a word. They're down eighteen percent. I think uh, you can use that. That's, sure, that's a pretty big haircut for the guidance cut that they made. Yeah, tanking sounds worse than haircut, doesn't it? <laughs> That's true. Yeah. That's true. Yeah, this was a little bit of this is more like a buzz cut. <laughs> um, and of course, Kroger, not a decapitation, not a decimation. Right, that would be terrible. Right. Um, Kroger, the parent company, obviously of the the name brand Kroger stores, but also Harris Teeter as well. Was this a pricey stock going into this move? I mean, they they cut full year guidance about ten percent. And yet, the the stock drop that we're seeing today is is closing in on twenty percent. So it's largely a same store sales question. If you go to the Kroger investor relations page for the company, it touts right there at the you know the front page five percent same store sales growth, and that's for two thousand sixteen. Well, we're in two thousand seventeen now. Unfortunately for Kroger and its shareholders, and uh, same store sales uh, or identical stores, uh, which is how they categorize it, are uh, flat to down for the first quarter. And uh, 
for any retailer, and groceries a little bit different, but uh, you've got a lot of stores, and if just keeping the doors open brings you 5% more sales year after year, compound that out, you get very different numbers than if you're compounding uh, 1%, which is where they're guiding now, flat to 1% for the year, uh, or negative, which is always a possibility. So, I think that it's Yes, down 10% uh, guidance for this year, but when you extend out where those numbers go, if the same store sales hold where they are right now, uh, it, it is more like a 20% uh, decline in the value. So, do they, do they, or for that matter, any major supermarket chain, do they need to look at their overall footprint? Because certainly, if you just go, if you go out of groceries and go to general retail, one of the things we've talked repeatedly about on this show this year is the closing of stores, insert name of retailer here, whether it's Kohl's or Macy's or JCPenney or Sears or whoever. Do the grocery stores themselves have too large a footprint? Well, grocery stores are still opening, and that's part of the problem, is that there is increased um, competition. Uh, it's coming from some German companies now, Aldi, Lidl, um, and of course, Amazon constantly growing its presence. Uh, Walmart, once upon a time, sort of did the same thing by their uh, significant entry into grocery that uh, we're seeing today uh, in reaction at the stock level to this. Uh, so, I think that across the board, there is increased competition. Kroger's a very, very good well-run company, uh, and they are not in the peril that uh, these retailers are, where we largely, uh, what is being priced in now is, that business model is just going away. That that, uh, Amazon or combinations of online and and other things are going to wipe out a lot of the department stores, which seems to be the case. We're not seeing the closures of top-line uh, supermarkets because people are still buying their uh, groceries at the grocery store, mostly. Mostly, mostly. Um, well, it's interesting because one of the things that we've seen with you mentioned Walmart, you can put Target in that category too. Sort of these larger big box retailers who have moved into groceries, and while uh, I'm, and I'm thinking primarily of Target in this case, while they haven't recently uh, driven a ton of great numbers. You you can see a scenario, particularly in the wake of what we're seeing today with Kroger, you can see a scenario where Target and Walmart are so big that they don't need to sell a ton of groceries. They don't need to sell a ton of of milk or frozen foods or fresh produce to cut into the core business of a Kroger. No, that part of what they're doing is just getting people to come to their store. If they come, if they can convince people to come into uh, you know, target uh, to just pick up uh, the essentials. Maybe they'll buy some other stuff while they're there because there's a lot of other uh, choice that that Target would rather you spend your money on higher margin things and groceries, which are always a very low margin business. And you know, Kroger's lucky uh, to be as good as they are uh, to get three percent operating margins out of their business. So when you go into a grocery store, you're really you're getting pretty good. Value, uh, and they they just have to make it up on volume, and that's uh, so for a, a you know for a business it's already very very low margin to be competing with some new entrants the, these German companies and 
the slower but increasing competition from online, slower than we see in other retail spaces, uh, it's not a great equation. They're in a good place. Uh, there, a lot of people are, you know, have their habits uh, formed, and they're going to go back to their the grocery store they go to today for many years, probably. And unlike retail, if you you know want a sweater, you can wait two, three days for the sweater to be delivered. If you need milk, you need it now. So that always helps uh, in the competition with online. But 18%, it's, it's, this is largely a function of taking out a larger same-store sales number and compounding a very, very small uh, same-store sales out, number out over a number of years. Industry Focus, which is our other daily podcast here at The Motley Fool, recently did an episode uh, about Aldi. Uh, it was, I mean, about sort of this industry in general, but I know a, a big part of the focus was about Aldi and just sort of that, as you said, that German conglomerate's entrance into the U.S. and they are spending much money. <laughs> uh, is there an Aldi opening up near you? There was, there's one, there's one that uh, came into about a mile from here about a year ago, and I, I never even heard of Aldi, and now they're just sort of popping up all over the place. It's, it's this. Uh, sort of lower-priced grocery chain where they're not focused on name brands. It's a it's a lot of white label uh, brands, a lot of staples, and it's it's a really interesting business model because they're essentially not spending money on advertising. They're not spending money on a lot of staff. You're essentially like sort of bagging your own stuff, mm-hmm. um, and it's it's not a lot of the brain brand names that you're used to seeing, but on the flip side, it doesn't cost that much. Uh, no, and the white label stuff is. We talked about this in regards to Smuckers last week. Uh, it is tough times to be uh, even a very strong brand in terms of not your survival but your growth, uh, because the uh, I think people are getting more and more used to picking up things uh, that are white label for that. You know, instead of the the packaging is a little better now for. You know whether it's you know the Safeway brand, whatever that brand that is. I don't know. There is some, I think. There is some, and I'm blanking on it. Yeah. But yeah, and everybody else, uh, you know, throws a name out there, uh, and but it's really just white label. So I think that's the Aldi's got a good business model. It's succeeded elsewhere, and I would expect it to succeed here. Before we get to our next story, I've got to say thanks to Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans for their support. Uh, chances are you're confident when it comes to your work, your hobbies, your life in general. Well, Rocket Mortgage gives you that same level of confidence when it comes to buying a home or refinancing your existing home loan, which is a good thing because you know what? Buying a home or refinancing a mortgage, that can be a stressful deal. And with Rocket Mortgage, you can apply simply, you can understand fully so that you can mortgage confidently. And that's what you want. That's all we want. Well, and an easy act to follow, as you say, because nothing in life is better than having an easy act to follow. But no. just generally being confident. And by the way, that that's part of what having an easy act to follow is all about. You're confident when you're walking into that job. Anyway, to get started, go to rocketmortgage.com/fool. Equal housing lender, licensed in all 50 states. NMLS consumeraccess.org number 3030. SeaWorld Entertainment in the news because. Investors actually voted out the chairman, David D'Alessandro. And this is a company that has been struggling. You can essentially draw a straight line from the release of the 
documentary film Blackfish a few years ago to today and look at how SeaWorld was impacted by that movie and therefore the business was and therefore the stock has been. And yet, I was still surprised by the fact that investors voted out the chairman of this company. Yes, yes, it is not easy to organize that when uh, because most of uh, the shares in, in almost all situations are voted for what the company recommends, and to get the shareholder activism uh, to succeed on something like this is a real rarity and underlines just how dissatisfied shareholders are entitled to feel about how this company has been run. Why do you, why do you think? It is so hard. Is it just because if you've got, if you're running a public company, it's really easy and, you know, not just easy, but advantageous and and probably smart to set it up in such a way that it's really hard for any sort of activist investor to come in and rile things up and, and get you booted? It requires active. It requires activity, which most investors are not interested in doing, voting their own shares. Uh, most people just ignore that envelope uh, when it is mailed to them. And I do. Yeah, so that's, you're in the majority. <laughs> with, with, you're in the vast majority. With a few exceptions, I, I, I will confess that you know most times I just sort of look at it and think, oh, okay, yeah, no, I'm good there. But there have been a few times where I've thought, no, I actually I know my vote doesn't count for much, but it counts for a tiny little something, and so I actually am gonna. And then you've got the institutional shares, which are largely going to back management um, for the most part, and. Uh, so it it takes more effort, and there's there's not a direct payoff in most cases for whoever's behind uh, the activist uh, shareholder effort, whatever it may be. Uh, to, you know, there isn't a, there isn't enough money supporting that for the most part, unless you've got uh, the activist shareholder who's got nine percent of the company and really does have a vested interest uh, to to take it on. But you know, SeaWorld is. Uh, a place where you can lay at the feet of management uh, the problems. You know, it's not weather was not the problem here, <laughs> right? <laughs> there hasn't been uh, a recession. Uh, people are still spending money on experiences and uh, entertainment, and they're in the right place, and they have lost a large chunk of of their audience. And not just at, at SeaWorld itself, but the brand has, which owns some other things, uh, has been tarnished. I, I don't know how permanently, because people will forget over time. Uh, but I, one of the problems here is when you think of SeaWorld, the thing that you think of turned out to be their biggest problem. Right. The killer whale. The killer whale was their, uh, their brand. And you know, while they've got things like uh, Sesame Place and, and other less noxious um, <laughs> efforts going on than, than what they were up to with the, the killer whales, I'm afraid that the whole company has been tarnished by association. Our email address is marketfoolery at fool.com from Pete in Long Island, New York, who writes, I started listening last year and I'm picking up some good tips so far. And he cites as examples uh, companies like Mercado Libre and Cognex. I'm interested in allocating a portion of my portfolio to safer blue chip stocks that pay a good dividend. I imagine there are quite a few options out there. Can you recommend some? P.S. 
I have to admit, I listen to your podcast at one and a half times speed since free time is at a premium, and you all sound lovely at the increased speed. I appreciate. It. We first of all, we just appreciate the Pete's listening. So you can listen at any speed you want. So so thank you for that. Um, uh, I I I find it a little amusing that he feels like that's a confession. Like, look, I I don't mean to hurt your feelings, but I've been, you're not hurting our feelings, Pete. Trust me. I've listened to you, and I think you can be listened to at normal speed. Is there like an app where I could be played at one and a half times, but you could be done normally? Because you're pretty competent at this, you've given it some thought. <laughs> I, it's your job, after all, I to think, be good on the radio, and it's it's you know I just show up and and get beaten up by you. Right? <laughs> yeah, that's, I'm, I'm sure. just a punching bag. Yeah, that's that's exactly <laughs> what you are. Um, a slow one, apparently. Slow talking one. I don't think there's a way to divvy that up, but maybe that's maybe somewhere there's someone working on that app where you can assign different speeds to different people. But it would have been good for the Jeff Sessions hearings, don't you think? Um, I didn't watch much of them. Is he is the attorney general a particularly slow talker? He was a little too slow for some of his questioners. Okay, uh, and and I, I got to say he was a little slow. He could have uh, he could have been faster out there. Well, you know what? He's he's going at his speed as we all do. But sure. if, if you listen to a podcast of those hearings, uh, you can take care of that. Exactly. Um, let's get to Pete's actual question, which was the dividend stocks. Well, obviously, we can't make specific recommend, recommendations to you. Pete say himself. that's obvious. I, I agree with you. Yeah, but, you know. Not everybody knows that. Not everybody knows. They that. listen to other podcasts where people are allowed to make specific recommendations. I suppose. I'm sure. Do you want to throw out a couple of names? <laughs> <laughs> no. It, so, in thinking about dividend stocks, uh, why do you want a dividend stock? Uh, because they're returning money to shareholders. There are a couple ways to do that. One is to buy back your own shares, which is a more uh, efficient, uh, in terms of taxes, way to return money to shareholders. So if I own, you know, shares of Apple for instance and they they can either take 2% of uh, you know their profits or higher than that. They can return 2% of of their money to shareholders every year or they could take 2% and buy back 2% of the company. Uh, and if you are holding shares for the long term, then you'd rather have them buy back shares because you're not paying taxes on on dividends received. You're you're getting to defer that tax taxation. But if you need the money, if you like getting in a certain set amount of money every year, then you and you're going to spend it, then you would prefer to get it in dividends and not uh, and because you know what you're going to get, you're going to get it four times a year in most cases. So if if that's the case for the um, um, the question, you know, look at stocks right now. You know, if you look at things that pay dividends uh, above five percent, uh, I'd say you're uh, getting into some iffy territory. That's that's pretty high. Three four percent is a pretty pretty good yield um, for most things. There there are some industries like like REITs where you're going to get a higher payout. Uh, but not us, but come with more risks. So you can just start with the list of Dow companies uh, and see who's paying a dividend that you like, what companies you like uh, out of that list. It's a good, solid list, a great place to start. And I think, I mean, I'm not trying, I am going to read into Pete's question a little bit just when, you know, the whole idea of, hey, I'm looking at my portfolio and I want 
to take part of it, I want to move it to blue chips. Um, and if if I'm Pete and I'm asking that question, I'm adding on something, a phrase along the lines of, "So I don't have to think about it all that much." Um, that's just me. But I think that there's something comforting for a lot of investors about dip, large dividend stocks. These are businesses that aren't really going away anytime soon. And also, if they are, if they have achieved the status of dividend aristocrat. Um, which is is a twenty five. It's twenty five years, right? A dividend aristocrat is a is a company that has increased their dividend every year for twenty five years. I think I'm right on the timeline. Is, this, is that the Grand Council ruling? I think that's the Grand Council ruling. Um, but but the, I think the larger point there is uh, you you want to look for companies that have a track record that of of whether it's increasing it every year or not. They've got a track record of, oh yeah, this is a big company. As you said, you can look at the Dow list, but you want a track record of steady payouts. You you don't want to see the red flag of, oh yeah, there was that point in time four years ago when they suspended their dividend. Yeah, now a lot of companies uh, took their dividends down in 2009 as there was a lot of financial uncertainty and have been restoring uh, dividends ever since. So you do want to make sure if you're picking out individual companies and you want to be able to sleep at night, uh, both of those things, then to make sure that they're earning enough money to pay their dividends because some companies are locked into feeling they need to maintain their dividend even if that may not be the safest thing for them to do in terms of operating their companies. If they're some companies, you know, have an off year, but the, there's pretty solid. Growth most years, and they might end up earning less money than they pay out in dividends as a one-year thing. Uh, but uh, if that's been going on for a couple of years, um, and I want to, I want to say that that was the case with uh, Mattel, uh, then don't expect that dividend to be maintained uh, at the level that it is. So that's right. Mattel did Mattel just either drop their dividend or suspend it? They have a new CEO, and. Um, I thought I had seen a headline about that. I thought I saw a headline about it. You look that up. I have a couple of housekeeping notes. Uh, first, uh, this weekend on Motley Full Money, our guest is Brad Stone, who wrote The Everything Store, which is the book about Amazon, and his most recent book is The Upstarts, which is his book about upstart companies in Silicon Valley, including Airbnb and Uber. So, yes, we will absolutely be talking with Brad Stone about what is the very eventful week that Uber has had, and we'll also get his opinion on a couple other of the big tech companies. Um, also, uh, you know, as a listener of this podcast and other Fool podcasts, you know we work with advertisers to support the show, and one of our sponsors is running a survey to get a better sense of the podcast-consuming audience. It takes about 90 seconds to do the survey. If you want to give them a hand, you can just head over to podcastlistener.com. Slash fool podcastlistener.com slash fool if you want to help them out. We appreciate it. Thanks. Uh, what did you find out about Mattel? Yes, uh, it did uh, cut its dividend. Uh, and this was no surprise because for the last three years it's been paying out more in dividends than it's been earning. Uh, so funding that with the debt. Uh, and this was a company that was trading with a dividend yield above, well above five percent, five six percent. So that is for a company in the line of business that Mattel is kind of a warning flag. There there are REITs, and as I say, there are some financials where you might not be too worried about a dividend dividend that high. But 
you know, you got to be able to make more than you're paying out. That's the kind of analysis you get when you go to FullFunds.com <laughs> and you sign you up for can... Declarations, which is the free monthly newsletter from Bill Barker and his colleagues at Motley Fool Funds. We, we that and a lot more, frankly. Much more. Much, much more, more than that. Much it's... more. But you also get stuff like that. So, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So, don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Austin Morgan. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. Yeah.